All right. Hey, before we get uh, started into uh, God's Word this morning, a couple things I want to say is, first of all, man, I'm so thankful for you guys. You guys are such a blessing to me and my family. And each week, uh, your presence alone, the way that you guys sing, the fellowship with one another is such a joy to my own heart. And uh, I just want to let you guys know that. Um, thank you for being a blessing to, to me and my family and in being, being in uh, a church together, serving together, worshiping together, all those, all those things. And uh, it's just a joy for me each and every week. I look forward to Sundays. Uh, hopefully you guys look forward to Sundays as well and being together with God's people and I uh, just wanted to, to say that. I also want to say this, um, that uh, John, Michael, and Marissa are expecting a child, if you guys know who they are. Uh, they're out there, yes. I, she didn't, yeah. Yes. Uh, they're having a girl in June, in June, so congratulations. Uh, also, um, Avery and Mackenzie uh, are also, yeah, okay, there we go. Are they here? No, just friends. Just friends cheering for No, yes. Uh, so uh, they're having a child, uh, a girl as well. So we're, we're just flooding the church with more girls. It's great. I love it. I love it. All right, open up to First Peter. Let's, let's dig into God's Word together. Uh, we're going to uh, start a new topic uh, in the midst of this book that we're working through um, on persecution. Being persecuted for being a Christian or for, for, for pursuing righteousness. And let's just start, maybe we can just kind of build the runway here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19 together. As we start this new topic together, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also be Glad when his glory is revealed, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become ungodly in the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It was reported in a recent uh, article entitled Countries Where It Is Most Dangerous to Be a Christian in 2023, that 5,621 Christians were murdered, 2,110 churches were attacked, 4,542 Christians were detained because of reasons related to their faith. In this article, there's a 2023 watch list that reveals the most persecuted nations around the world and the most severe is that of North Korea. The amount of Christians that are there, they're suffering in many different ways. It says there in this article that more than 100 members of their families were said to have been rounded up and sent to labor camps. Another country is Somalia. 
Hundreds of Christians there that have come to know Christ are being persecuted. It even says that converts from Islam to Christianity are regarded as high-value targets. And many of these converts have been killed on the spot. Young female converts to Christianity are particularly vulnerable. Christian girls are forced into marriages, physical violence, pressure to adhere to conservative Muslim practices and attempts to rehabilitate them. This is true in Yemen, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, where persecution still exists for many, many Christians. Killed, ostracized, expelled by, from their families. Your countries are going through some of the, the worst forms of persecution that we could ever imagine. It's a reminder, first of all, of this, that we need to keep praying for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are hiding, who are on Sunday morning not able to publicly walk to church, grab their friends and go to church and proclaim the name of Jesus, who, who have to go into hiding in the depths of their basement or wherever it is so they can worship Jesus. So we need to remember to pray for them. Secondly, remember this, that the persecution we have here in America is nothing in comparison to what is happening over there. Yes, we're persecuted. Yes, it's hard at times to live for Christ, but we also know this, that in other countries it is far worse than what we have here in the outskirts of Seattle or even in Seattle. That doesn't mean we're not being persecuted because there is persecution, but compared to those in other countries, it's not nearly the same. In fact, here in America, we do know this, that acts of violence against churches has risen quite a bit in the last five years. Hostility is that in vandalism and arson, gun-related attacks, bomb threats. And we see this on the rise because we know this here in America, that being a Christian means that you're no longer on the home team. There is no such thing as cultural Christianity anymore in America. Our nation has affirmed through its elected leadership that it is an anti-Christian nation. It is affirmed through its leadership that we are no longer for the things of the Lord. We replaced Christianity with equal rights and moral freedoms. That now is the religion of America. Any and all biblical morality is being assaulted. To stand for the truth, to speak the truth, to hold for biblical convictions is to stand in the way of an evil tidal wave. There's no way to stop it. And the suffering here that we we're talking about is suffering in regards to persecution, being persecuted for your faith. And in the time of this letter, in 1 Peter, when this was written, there was an evil dictator, Emperor Nero. And there's one thing that Emperor Nero did that he's kind of known for in regards to the Christians and because of the persecution was in July of 64 AD, Emperor Nero went on vacation and, and once you know it, the, the city of Rome was set to fire while he was away, burning down a third of the city. 
Different people have different speculation as to, to why this happened, but at the end of the day, most people would say this, that Nero wanted a third of the city destroyed because he was infatuated with new buildings and new palaces. So he went away on vacation, third of the city is destroyed, so he could come back and rebuild the city the way he wanted it to be. Rumors were getting out that Emperor Nero was the one who was uh, uh, the one who, who started the fire and wanted the fire. These rumors spread, and so Emperor Nero needed a scapegoat. So Nero said, I got a scapegoat. It's the Christians. And to prove it, that the Christians were the one who started the fires, I'm going to persecute them. And I'm going to kill them. He blamed the Christians for this fire. Emperor Nero was so evil that history says this, that he slept with his mother, then had her murdered, and then he had a number of his wives murdered and his brother Roman historian Cassius Tacitus says this, to get rid of the report that Nero started the fire, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. He said this, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or they were nailed to crosses or doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Nero hated Christians, persecuted Christians, and Christians lived with the reality that each and every day they would wake up knowing that persecution could come their way, persecution could come their way all the way to the point of death imprisonment, tortured. And so it's with this backdrop that Peter writes this letter, this, this letter of encouragement to them, and he says to them, do not be surprised when this suffering and this persecution would come upon you. In fact, this idea and this understanding of suffering is all throughout the letter. If you, if you would, flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and in verse 6 is the first place he starts talking about it. When he says, in this you rejoice, though for a little while now, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In chapter 2, in verse 23, he talks about being reviled and not returning, uh, not, don't revile and return. And when suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In chapter 3, in verse 14, he says it again, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. In chapter 4 and verses 12 uh, to 19, or in, our, in our text here, it has the most complete and exhaustive section on suffering. And then in chapter, chapter 5, in verse 9, he does it again. He says, resist him, stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And what Peter does here in chapter, chapter 4 and verses 12 to 9, he gives the most complete and exhaustive understanding of how to deal with suffering. This is what you should expect. This is what you need to know in regards to suffering, in regards to being persecuted. And I want us to really dive into this and help us understand and really, really kind of wrap our minds around having a theology of persecution. 
So really what I want to do this morning is just lay a biblical foundation as to why Christians are persecuted. And that'll help us, I think, jump in here and, and figure out what it is exactly that Peter wants to say to them. So for a heading, if you're taking notes, just write this down, how to respond to suffering biblically. This is what Peter wants us to know. How do we, how do we respond to this? Number one is this, do not be surprised when you suffer. Do not be surprised when you suffer. Now, I've got a number of points here, but we'll just take one at a time. And he says this, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He starts out by saying this, beloved, beloved, these were Christians that were close to the apostle's heart. This word here pertains to, to one who is dearly loved, one who is prized, one who is valued. This, is, this indicates here that there's a, a close relationship here be, between Peter and his readers. There's this, this, this endearment between the two of them, kind of like a fatherly term here, a, a brotherly term here to, to help them understand that Peter can relate entirely with what they're going through. Brothers, family, I understand what it is that you're going through. Peter can relate to them. And we'll look at that here in a little bit, how Peter can relate to them. And he says this, do not be surprised. It means this, a, a sudden feeling of unexpected wonder. To be shocked. And what Peter is doing here is this is, this is a, a command in the present imperative don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be caught off guard by the fact that you are being persecuted for your faith. And right here, it's combined with, with a negative here. Do, do not be surprised. And it implies this, that the Christians were in fact surprised or shocked by the fiery trials that had come upon them. They were still surprised that they were being persecuted for their faith. But what endeared Peter to them was the fact that he understood this. Peter would watch his friend get stoned for standing for Christ. He would watch his friend be killed with the sword for standing for Christ. Peter himself would be in prison for standing for Christ. He, he understood he knows it's hard. He knows it's difficult. He, he understands the anxiety that comes from it. He understands the tears at night that come from being persecuted. He's, he's not surprised by this. And this is the first thing we need to understand as Christians is that we should not be shocked or surprised by the fact that we are persecuted for our faith. It should not catch you off guard when someone who is an unbeliever does not like the fact that you're a believer. So he says, stop being caught off guard by this. I think the natural attitude is to look at persecution or being tested or afflicted as something that's strange and abnormal. I mean, sometimes I think, hey, well, well what's going on? I'm, I'm kind of the good person here in the office. I'm actually the one kind of holding things together here in the office. I, I'm the good guy here on my, on my street. I'm always the one that, that's promoting good things and, and, and trying to promote unity. Why am I the one that's being persecuted? Why am I the one? That people hate 
I mean, I even read my Bible today and I pray, I, I pray every day. Why, why am I the one being persecuted? I don't deserve the trial. I don't deserve the hardship. Things should go smooth. I, I'm a Christian now. This should be a cakewalk till we get to heaven. And the reality is this, is that Christians who are in fact pursuing holiness, listen closely, should expect to be persecuted. We should expect it. Notice the words here that Peter uses. He uses the words here, fiery trial. He could be even playing off of the burning of Rome here. He could be even using this word as we even use it in modern conversation. He's really going through the fire. These trials that come upon us. What I want to do here is is answer this question here for us and lay this biblical foundation for us is, is why it is that persecution happens for Christians, why it is that we should not be surprised. I want to give you, give you four reasons why Christians should not be surprised when it comes to being persecuted. Number one, there's theological reasons. Christians are persecuted because of what they believe and how they behave. Christians are persecuted for what they believe and how they behave. Suffering is part of being a Christian. Listen to this verse in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be someday in their life be persecuted. No, that's not what it says. What does it say? It says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life, if you don't desire to live a godly life, then you won't be persecuted. But if you actually desire to live a godly life and you're pursuing holiness, then expect to be persecuted in this world. Secondly, in, first, in Philippians 1.29, it says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only do you believe in him, but it's granted to you that you would suffer for his sake. Why is this? Why, why the suffering? Why the persecution? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means that you believe differently from the world and you behave differently in the world. And there are only two groups of people in this world. Listen, there's only two groups of people. There are those who love Jesus and there are those who hate Jesus. There are no middle ground people. Your heart is either transformed by the gospel or it is in hatred of Jesus Christ. Your father is either God himself or it is Satan himself. There is no middle ground. The Bible says you're either in the light or you're in the darkness. Jesus says you're either have a good tree that bears good fruit or your bad tree that bears bad fruit. He says either you're built on the solid ground or the rock of Jesus Christ or you're built in the sand. He says you're either on the narrow path or you're on the wide path. There is no middle ground. There is no moral person apart from the one who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we need to make that distinction. We need to stop trying to blur the lines. And Jesus was very clear about this. 
This is the world by which we this is the the world by which we see everything is through scripture. We're informed then because of our love of Jesus Christ to follow his word, to obey his word. And because of that, because we follow Jesus, because we love Jesus, that means that the world is going to hate us. I want you to see this in John 15. Turn to John 15. This is the exact words that Jesus said. I know this is a little bit more of a lecture this morning, but I, I, I really just want us to lay this foundation here and have, a, have an understanding here. We can't skip over these things. In John 15, 18, this is what he says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why did the world hate Jesus? Why did the world hate the Son of God? Because his teachings did not match the teaching of the world. Because he taught the exclusivity of the gospel. He taught that there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. Not many ways. Not, hey, go find your own way uh, to God. No, he taught it was through him and him alone. He taught that he was the son of God. He taught repentance. He taught grace. He taught love. He taught against salvation by works. He taught against the traditions of man as a, as a way of salvation. Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth, even when it wasn't popular. He was not afraid to go against the culture. And listen, no matter how many people he healed, no matter how much community service he did, no matter how much charity he showed, at the end of all of it, and he fed a lot of people, and he healed a lot of people, and he showed a lot of, uh, of community service to the people, and at the end of it, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill him. They still wanted to kill him. After all of that, in fact, in John 5, 8, it says this, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Church, listen, no matter how many good deeds you do, no matter how much charity you show, and you should, don't expect by doing that, that the world is all of a sudden going to love you. They didn't even love Jesus when he raised a man from the dead. In fact, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. We need this person dead. But yet we're trying, oftentimes Christians are trying so hard, so hard to win the love of the world. We're not in this world to win the favor of people. We're in this world to transform them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And yes, we're the arms and feet of Jesus. And yes, we go out and do these things, but not with the expectation that all of a sudden they're going to love us. We do it for Jesus Christ. We do it to transform hearts. That's a shift, guys. That's a philosophical shift in your mind as to why we do what we do. They wouldn't even love Jesus when he healed people. They wouldn't even love Jesus when he fed. 
5, 10, 20,000 people. We've got to keep this in our minds. We can't hold hands with the culture. We're not trying to blend in with the culture. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn over there with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14, it says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What partnership has lawlessness with righteousness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? Or what, a, what, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? We are the temple of the living God. As it says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and your sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. We got to remind ourselves this. The goal is not to become one with the culture. The goal is not to bring the culture into the church to make it look like the world. The goal is to separate yourself unto holiness. And when you separate yourself, listen, you make a break away from the world. What's going to happen then is you become different from the world and you're pursuing holiness. And what comes from that then is persecution. So there's theological reasons. Secondly is this, there's political reasons. Why Christians are persecuted. Persecuted Christians can come at the hands of the government. We know this and it tells us and our Bibles tell us that the government was established by God with a purpose and the purpose was to restrain evil and to promote good. The problem is, is that's been flipped on its head. Problem is, is, that's been turned upside down. It's been reversed where evil is now promoted and good is suppressed. And when you have evil promoted and good suppressed and Christians promoting good, that's a problem. Because evil is that which is celebrated and not good. And while it's assumed that the sword of the state only affects those who do wrong, like murder and steal, crimes against humanity, the actual experience of Christians since the birth of the church is that sometimes civil authority works against Christianity and works against God's law. And Peter understood that. In fact, look with me, if you would, over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. In Acts chapter, chapter 5 and verse 29, the apostles, Peter himself, were brought before the, the leaders. Verse 27, and they, brought, they had brought them, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the, the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? And here's Peter. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Christians see, listen, Christians see the government not as the sovereign authority over man. God is the sovereign authority over man. God gets the final say, not man. And civil authority doesn't have a problem with that until laws and ordinances go against Christian absolutes and the word of God. And Christians must obey God rather than man. Turn over with me one other place. I want you to see this because there's Peter there and I want to see this one in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we see this happening, this persecution of Christians at the hands of the government, this time with Herod the king. About that time, Acts 12, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that this made a lot of people happy in the city, it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest too. There's our guy right there. There's Peter watching all of this. He gets arrested. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him. There's a lot of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out for the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. He's rescued. He's taken out. You say, did anything happen to, to Herod? Yeah, something did happen to Herod. If you let your eye drop all the way down to the uh, basically the end of the chapter of chapter 12, you can see it in verse 23, what happened to him. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. In the midst of all this persecution, what happened to the church Verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. We'll talk about this later because this is actually one of the points when it comes to suffering is the purity of the church. But we know this, that at the hands of the government, Christians can be persecuted. Third is this, economic reasons. There's economic reasons. The Bible tells us that there are economic reasons why Christians can be persecuted. There's New Testament evidence of this. So you're right there in Acts 12. Just turn over to Acts 16. In verse 16, there's a story here of where Christians were apparently hurting local businesses. And so they needed to be kicked out of the city. Verse 16, and they were going to the place of prayer. This is Paul and Silas before they get thrown in prison. Verse 16, they're going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own owners much gain by fortune telling. So she was making a ton of money through her fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Verse 18, 
And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> love that. Having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, when they saw that this was hurting the economy, this was hurting their business, what did they need to do? They needed to get rid of what? They needed to get rid of the Christians. This is hurting business. They seized him. Silas, they dragged them out of the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our, they're disturbing our city. They advocate for customs that are not lawful for us as Romans or accept them as practice. The crowd joined in. And what did they do? They attacked him. And the magistrates tore off their garments and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And they inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received the orders, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They're hurting the local business. Christians were a threat to their business. The gospel was a threat to their business. And because of that, they were attacked. They were persecuted. If people think that Christians are hurting the business or the economy, it could result in persecution. Listen, that's biblical. Don't be surprised. I said this from the start. Don't be surprised if you get fired from your job for being a Christian. That should no longer shock you. That should no longer be a surprise to you. Don't be surprised if and shocked if your coworkers don't like the fact that you stand for the truth. If the culture believes that you have an adverse effect on business because of your faith, then you could be persecuted. You could lose your job. They could make it as difficult as possible on you until you want to leave. That shouldn't shock us. That should no longer surprise us. And we need to be prepared for that. And we need to know that. And we need to even expect that. And I'm sure there's all kinds of illustrations of people you know who have been put in that situation who have been let go of their job because of that. There's a fourth reason why. It's a social reason. It's a social reason. Another reason why Christians are persecuted is that they live for something other than the world and because they're different. This is what Peter says to us from the very beginning. He wants us to know from the opening first two sentences. You are a sojourner and an exile in this world. You don't belong here. You belong in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven, and you are just passing through this world with one mission and one goal, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ until that day when you are brought up to be in glory with God. You're not of this world, which means this. We don't think the way the world thinks. We don't behave the, world, the way the, the, the world behaves. We don't act like the world does. As we know, we can see this all around us. America is sinking lower and lower and lower into the abyss of sin and in the abyss of hell, and the abyss of evil. And Christians are now standing out more than ever. We take a stand against abortion. 
We take a stand against sex trafficking. We take a stand against pedophilia. We take a stand against the LGBTQ team movement. Not because we feel like it's right, we do it because God's word says so. We do it because we defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't like to accept people that are different from them. We take a different stance than the world does. We take a different view than the world does. We take a biblical worldview. We hold the biblical convictions, biblical morality, and that separates us from the world. The world wants you to conform to them. The world wants you to fall in line with their values. And this is exactly what Peter says even in this chapter. In chapter 4, he says, There was a time when you lived the sensualities and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to them. Verse 4 of chapter 4 says what? With respect to this, they are what? They are surprised that you don't join them. Same word. They're surprised that you don't fall in line with what they're thinking. You don't fall in line with what they do. And they don't like it. And because you're different and because you take a different stance, because you stand for something else, there is persecution that happens because of it. What was acceptable in the world is no longer acceptable to you because you live for the gospel. Because of that, Christians are outcasts in society at times, outcasts from family at times. And Peter wants us to understand that because he walked it, he lived it, he listened to Christ teach it. And Peter's entire life was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does Peter say? First of all is this, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes your way as what? As though it was something strange. It's no longer strange. Not strange to us. It's not odd. This is what being a Christian is. So listen closely. Students, you a student out there? Don't be surprised when you stand for your faith and, and the students around you don't like it. Okay? Don't be surprised by that. Stand strong, remain strong. Young adults, don't be surprised. No longer be shocked. That you value church, you value Christ, you value integrity, you follow Jesus Christ, that your friends around you are not going to like that. Stand strong. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be surprised. You may get persecuted for your faith. Moms, dads out there. Those of you who are raising children, don't be surprised when your peers don't respect your life. They don't respect the way that you raise your children to honor Jesus Christ. Don't give in to the culture. Teach your little, your little boys to be men. Teach your women, your, your young girls to be, to be women in this world. Teach them a value system that is based on the gospel, knowing that the moms and dads around you aren't going to like it. Because you value church, you value biblical things, you value the gospel and they don't like it. And it's a good friend of yours. 
Guess what? You're going to be persecuted for that. Moms and dads, stay strong. Businessmen, businesswomen out there who go to work on Monday are going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to go into the office and you're going to want people to like you. To, to accept you, and you're going to want people to value you, but you stand for Christ. You told them you went to church yesterday. You told them that you love Jesus. You told them what you value in your life, and they don't like it. You're going to get persecuted for that. Stand strong. You expect it. You live for something else. You value something else. Character matters to you. Integrity matters to you. Sharing your faith matters to you. Even if that means that you'll be persecuted for your faith. And we go to battle every day. In a foreign world, that's not ours. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we come back on Sundays and we turn around and we greet that person with a smile on our face. We say, I'm so glad you're here. We sing songs that we just sang, beautiful songs about God to remind ourselves that through tragedy and through hurt and through pain, through all of it, our days are numbered and that we live for Jesus Christ. We're reminded of that on a weekly basis and we go back and, and we, we go back into battle knowing that we're going to be persecuted. We come back and we get recharged and we get refilled up and we get back into the word of God and remind ourselves that God is sovereign and we go back out and we do it again and we do that over and over and over again until Jesus returns or until he takes us into heaven. That's the Christian life. There's seven more points, and there's no way I'm getting to it this morning. Okay, so it's going to happen next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder. Sometimes, Lord, it's just hard to live the Christian life. It is. It's just hard. And we need to just be reminded of these things that, that Peter, he certainly didn't live a, a perfect life. In fact, he's even maybe more known for denying Christ than anything. Yet you chose Peter to write this letter to us, having watched his friends die for living for Christ. He himself being imprisoned for proclaiming Christ. He himself saying, I, that he obeys God, not men. And he's the one that wrote this to us to, to remind us to not be surprised that even some of our closest friends may persecute us. That even our coworkers that we've spent months and years with may persecute us because of the gospel, because we pursue righteousness. And that there are those who love Jesus in this world that are trying to transform hearts through the power of the gospel. And there's, there's the world and the masses that hate Jesus. And this is a spiritual battle. And Lord, we need every single day to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. We need to be reminded every day to put on the full armor of God and to, to walk out the church doors and walk out of our, our own homes that we're going into a battlefield. And the purpose here, the mission here, is the proclamation of Jesus Christ through our life and through our words. Knowing that, 
when we do that, it may mean persecution and hardship. Help us not to be discouraged, but encouraged. And empower us for the battle in front of us. Lord, you're a good God. You're a great God. You're a sovereign God. And we can trust you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.